welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. This episode is a special one to me. It's one of the sessions from our Higher Ed Insights Summit 2023. If you'd rather watch the session than listen, go ahead and find all those on the Enrollment Insights blog at niche.bz insights. And under the Enrollment Insights blog in the menu, choose Higher Ed Insights Summit. Enjoy. I am Angela Brown from Niche, and I will be moderating our session today. So what that means is I'm going to go through our housekeeping items, and then I'm going to disappear and turn things over to Molly before coming back at the end when we do questions. So as you can see, biggest question that we get when we do these is whether or not it's being recorded. Yes, it is. In addition to all of the other sessions from today, they're going to be sent out to you with some additional resources early next week. There will also be podcast versions of all of the sessions that will be rolled out on the Enrollment Insights podcast feed, so you can all look forward to that. And then finally, you can enter questions into the Q&A as they pop into your head, but we will be handling those at the end. We will do our best to get through as many of them as possible, but as you may know, we can't always get to every single question. So if there's something that we miss, you're welcome to reach out to us at Niche or contact Molly directly to get those questions answered offline. And with that, I'm going to turn things over to Molly and I will be back in just a little bit. Awesome. All right. Let's see if we can get things going here. All right. Um, thanks so much, Angela. I'm Molly Yoder. I'm the AVP of Marketing um, here at Trevecca Nazarene University. We are a Christian university in the heart of Nashville. And I have been at the helm of our marketing department since late 2020. Um, but I've been in the higher ed and nonprofit space for about two decades. And I'm so excited to be with you all today. Um, I'm going to start out with the ultimate caveat, which is um, one of the reasons I love higher ed is that there is great collaboration among colleagues. And so not any one of us uh, pretends to have all of the secret sauce. But what I'm going to be sharing with you today are a few things that we're seeing um, work for us here uh, really well at Trevecca. And my hope and prayer is that um, maybe there will be a nugget or two that you can take back to your teams as well. So um, would love to have some great ideating and discussion um, in the, that question box as well. So um, let's dig in. In addition to running uh, Trebekah's Marketing Department, I also happen to love basketball. So um, today we are going to be talking about the greatest basketball player of all time, in my humble opinion. I'm not talking about Michael. I'm not talking about LeBron. I'm not talking about Kobe. Today, I want to talk to you about Pistol Pete Maravich. So Pistol started playing ball when he was six or seven years old, and he mastered the game by focusing on one thing, one essential element, and that is ball handling. He would dribble and run ball handling drills for eight hours a day in the summer, four hours a day during the school year. Now, I'm a mom of a six, almost seven-year-old boy. I'm not really sure, y'all, how Pistol's mama put up with all that racket, but I'm very glad she did because as a result of his mastery of ball handling techniques, he changed the game. He danced circles around anyone he came up against. He would throw the ball behind his back, fake them out um, over and over again as they reflected back on Pistol's brief career. Other basketball legends would go on to describe his play like this. It's as if the ball was an extension of his hand. 
I'm telling y'all, do yourself a favor, hopefully not during this talk, but the next time you need a mental break, YouTube some Pistol Pete highlight clips. Even if you're not a basketball nut, you have to admit that he was a master. So, uh, okay. So if you're not a sports fan, before you completely tune me out and you're like, okay, I'm going to dig out of my inbox now, let me tell you how Pistol is going to help us win the enrollment game. He changed basketball by focusing on one thing. And I don't think you have to have mad ball handling skills to bring in a record freshman class. But I do think there is one thing that we can focus on that will change the game. And that is brand health. So right up front, here is our big idea. Healthy brands drive strong lead generation programs. I said it. Healthy brands feed strong lead generation programs. Now, when you hear that, we're probably not in our heads because it's such a basic and widely accepted statement. And again, this is the point where I'm like, okay, do I dig out of the inbox or do I lean in? And I'm going to encourage you to lean in because I think if Pistol were here and he were in this session, he would agree that just because something is so fundamental doesn't mean it isn't worth giving our focused and almost obsessive attention to it. So that is what we're going to look at. Brand health is our one thing. Uh, Gary Keller's uh, book, The One Thing, he talks about giving the uh, identifying that one thing that when you focus on it and you solve for it, all the other things become infinitely easier. Jim Collins describes it as the flywheel principle in good to great. Today, I am wanting to suggest that brand health is our one thing as enrollment and marketing professionals. So why is that? And I it really comes back to this big idea. Brand, healthy brands feed strong lead generation programs. But let's look at what is a healthy brand. So I would argue that a healthy brand is marked by two things. The first, and this is the one that we always jump to, is the extent to healthy brands are known. The extent to which you are known um, drives your health. So when I arrived at Tribeca, um, our organic lead volume, especially on the graduate and adult education side, had taken a hit. Um, now, admittedly, it was 2020. There was something else that might have been going on that year. But uh, this was an indication that we had a bit of an awareness problem. And so I wanted to do some more diagnostics. As a result, we conducted a large market awareness study of the Middle Tennessee area. We began, we also began reimagining how we talk about who we are, which leads me to the second brand health factor. Healthy brands know themselves. So um you know, this is one of my favorite quotes about brand. It's a Jeff Bezos quote. And it says, your brand is how people talk about you. It's about, it's how people talk about you when you are not in the room. Um, and so we began looking at um, how we talked about ourselves. Uh, I began asking anyone who I met, how would you describe Trevecca to a prospective family? What do you think makes Trevecca, Trevecca? Um, and guess what? I got a whole host of different answers. Some were similar, but none were repeatable enough to stick. We didn't know ourselves. So we had some brand refinement work to do. What does that even mean? Uh, well, for us, it looked like we pulled our internal constituents, we conducted focus groups, and we met with key leaders. But probably the most important step in that whole process was we brought in trusted outside support. We used a firm, uh, Love and Science, and I'll, I'll get into a little bit more how they worked with us, but uh, to guide us through the refinement process, pushing us and offering outside perspectives. Out of that wrestling match emerged a brand blueprint, consistent language for how we talked about ourselves 
And that's being implemented and adopted throughout the whole campus from HR to academics, from entry level to cabinet level. Everyone is working from the same script. And the true marker of success here is when our cabinet started hearing that language from the brand blueprint repeated back to them during walkabouts on the campus or in interactions with prospective students and even donors. So let me um, let me just reiterate this. Oh, here, back up. Okay, um, I think the, this is a critical point and it's worth focusing on. Research and refinement are the two places where outside support can make all the difference. I am a, a duct, duct tape and shoestring kind of girl on most things, but this is the place where I would not skip because um, you don't want internal biases to send you down the wrong road when you're talking about research um, and building strong brand strategy on top of something. So for the brand research portion of the work we had in front of us, we partnered with 5x5. They're an agency based out of Nashville and they've got deep market research expertise. They came in and they conducted a very robust brand perception study course. In fact, I have this. It was we we called it research by the pound. It's like a phone book. Um, and so um, they they not only delivered that, but they also sliced and diced the data several different ways to make sure that our senior leadership team was positioned to um, interpret those results correctly and to act on those findings. Um, they pulled our market with both quantitative and qualitative data, and they leaned into our alumni base to provide some context and color commentary on the insights. So from this study, uh, we learned that we were, we were not showing up in the selection set for Middle Tennessee as much as we had hoped and that the perceptions around uh, who we are from the consumer standpoint didn't align with who we thought we are. Now that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, but this made it fun. Um, one of the exercises that we did during the research uh, was uh, they had uh, a focus group um, identify us as a vehicle um, and say, okay, if Trebekah were a car, what would it be? Um, and that really caused us to think, because let's be honest, like if you're going to look for an off-road truck, you're not also considering minivans. Um, so just, I know that's an absurd example, but for us, it clicked. And we realized that we were spending too much energy chasing things that are didn't matter to our consumers. And so um, so that was the result of the research and that kind of established the foundation. I've included a link here for you all and you can look at it afterwards as well. But um, if you don't have a strong partner um, that, that can come in and bring that trusted outside perspective, a five by five was a great one for us. And um, they've got some really um, significant um, expertise in the higher ed space. Um, so then once we did the brand research, we realized, okay, you know, we're not the car we thought we were. So now we need to do some brand refinement work. And, um, and that's where that brand blueprint really came together for it, for us. And this, um, as much as I want to say, you know, we can do it all, we can, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we're really too close to your brand. So we could only take it so far. We had done a lot of work on our own, um, but I would say we probably got it 75, 80% there, but then bringing that trusted partner along that can push you, um, that will um, really um, help, uh, you know, keep you from getting stuck. Um, we were tempted to give Pat answers at certain points and they would push. We would use internal lingo and they would say, no, 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 like your audience doesn't know that. Um, and so the result was this blueprint, a really 
a codified set of language that, that, like I said, we can implement throughout the entire organization to talk about who we are. Um, and so that was, um, that was a huge element to building our brand into a, a healthier functioning brand. Um, there's a, a, there's a point I want to circle back to, um, when it comes to the research phase, um, we, uh, as a result of the research that we, uh, that we conducted, not only did we, we launch into our brand refinement, but we also started making SEO a priority. Um, and that is part of our long-term brand health strategy. And I know we all throw that word around and we all know we need to be doing it. Let me just give you the practical way that we're attacking it. We use Bright Edge. It is a, um, it's a tool. It's a little bit on the pricey side, but it um, has been wildly successful for, for us because it breaks down um, complex SEO concepts into very specific action steps that my team can take with a minimal um, resource commitment on a weekly basis. So if you want some information about that, connect with me after. I would love to, to share more details about that offline. But um, we made SEO a priority. We also wireframed a new website that better aligned with our market needs. So those are two specific action steps that we took as a direct result of our market awareness survey. So uh, we went through the market awareness survey. We started down the path of brand refinement. And once we knew who we are, we had to take the next step. Because part of knowing who we are is knowing who we serve. And so that's what we're going to talk about next. Um, you have to know your people. Um, and I love this, this quote from our partners at Love & Science. They said, you need to know who you are first and foremost. But then you need to think about that awareness from the buyer or the student perspective. Connecting what you stand for and what you provide with what the audience needs and wants. Brand awareness that leads to action, which is what we want, life change that's going to happen. I mean, what better product do we have than, than that, um, is an exercise in identity and empathy. And you need both of those things to be truly successful. So beyond knowing yourself, you need to know your audience. Um, there's, there's two parts of the equation here that get you to higher conversion and stronger lead gen. Beyond uh, consistency in messaging and specificity in audience, that's what leads to a stronger conversion. So you need to know who you are first and foremost, but then you need to think about awareness from that buyer perspective. Awareness is in many ways a prerequisite for acquisition, even if the awareness is just a brief acquaintance. So we're going to talk about a quick case study. Um, we just launched our brand new Masters in Human Performance and Fitness. It's an online degree for us in our graduate and adult education side of the house. Um, and what we essentially did uh, was help move people along the continuum of acquaintance to familiar. So um, we started with... Um, figuring out who we thought our target audience would be. We built strong personas um, based on the people that we expected to be our prime audience. And as a result of that, because we were starting, you know, at the yellow, maybe even towards the blue before we started uh, out here, we saw a very successful launch with lead counts and lead quality that rivaled or even beat our much more established programs at, at Treveca. So, um, you know, it was interesting to me that we could launch a brand new program um, and see it outshine some of our programs with a little bit more notoriety just by connecting 
to the audience more deeply just by helping them move along this continuum. So your best chances of collecting acquisitions closer to uh, the familiars, you know, that are closer to this gray circle, that are closer to the acquaintance side are, okay, as a budget value option, as the only game in town, or as a direct and personal answer to your audience's questions and needs. This is where you can shine. This is the piece you can control is taking an honest look at your potential audiences and start aggressively honing in on the one or two that are most likely to provide you with wins. You can't focus, you can't afford to focus on being all things to all people, or you're going to lose, at least in the early goings, at least in the in the lead gen acquisition stage of the game. So know thyself, know thy audience, then narrow your scope to just a handful of impactful personas, and you can begin crafting highly specific narratives and adjusting your offerings sometimes if you see that there are holes in that um, to best suit the needs of those audiences. The better the fit, the fewer questions that those audience members are going to need to have answered and the more focused they become on taking action with you. So this was, again, uh, part of our, our kind of brand refinement work. The other thing I'd just like to underscore on this front, so we do a lot with paid search. Um, and I think it's interesting that Google's got this down. They understand that when you can move people from acquaintance to familiar, your conversion is going to go up. In fact, when you combine paid and organic, you're increasing that likelihood of, of clicks uh, of conversion by more than two, per, by, by two times. And then this was interesting. By bidding on branded keywords, advertisers are able to improve their clicks by 32%, their conversions by 53%, and their profitability by 38%. And that's straight from Google. So I think it's, interesting that you know we're we're i hate how sometimes we're we're playing catch up a little bit with the for-profit space um but truly we can take these concepts and principles and we can definitely apply them to um higher ed scenarios so let's talk about we've defined healthy brand let's talk about strong lead gen what are the markers of a strong lead generation program Great lead gen is really marked by a diversity of sources and low CPL against high yield, or put more simply, great ROI. Great diversity of sources and great ROI. Um, now more than ever, okay, who just, can I get a word? Um, this has been a crazy cycle. This, this year has looked unlike anything we have seen in higher ed. And there's so many other things that are being discussed with regards to the upcoming cliff and things like that. So now more than ever, diversifying sources is an absolute must. We can't afford to put large pieces of the pie um, in one or two in, in one or two buckets. So um, with little historical markers and projections to rely on in, in this post-COVID space we find ourselves in, um, we just cannot afford to take the same kinds of big risks with large pieces of that, of that lead gen pie. So We've got to look for ways to diversify those lead sources, um, growing our organic pipeline, um, increasing our list buying. That's what I love about Niche is they really are a very nimble company that focuses on piloting uh, new initiatives, being innovative in the space. They've been, you know, already such a pioneer for um, the college admissions process. And so finding more partners like that, finding more um, ways to um, 
build out that pipeline is going to be key. And then um, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, Jerry Brown. So you've probably never heard of Jerry Brown. Um, you may have heard of Pistol, maybe not. But um, but Jerry Brown was my grandfather, um, and he was a, a very proficient shipbuilder. Um, and he worked for the shipyard for many years. Um, and he wrote a lot. He patented a lot of welding processes. And so towards the latter years of his life, I was asking him, okay, well, how did you you know how did you figure this out? And he just looked at me and said, I wasn't a genius. I was just lazy. Finding better ways to do things that take less time fed that laziness. And I thought it was such a profound moment because isn't that true of uh, the work that we do? Like we've got to uh, we've got to find uh, ways to do things that take less time or that create more yield. Um, and I promise that niche did not pay me to say this, but one of the things you've got to do is you've got to niche down. Um, so we, uh, one thing we're really looking at more closely than ever this year at Trebekah is in, in light of this crazy cycle that we've all just lived through, um, how do we identify niches better? How do we, um, you know, how do we, now that we know our audience, now that we build on that strong brand foundation that we've had, how do we uh, uh, drill down even more and find ways to do micro outreaches and ensure that we're getting that continual output from our lead gen efforts? Practically, it, it may look for us like splitting up traditional preview days by academic band or by program of choice, doing some more targeted list buys and follow-up messaging. So if you're stuck on how to make this play out, um, again, not getting paid here, but I would encourage you to reach out to your niche rep. They are a phenomenal resource in this area. And um, I've seen firsthand how much they love just kind of getting in the trenches and and brainstorming with you. So um, take advantage of that for sure. Lean into what's working and run new tests. So let me, um, we've kind of been a little bit all over the place. So I appreciate you guys staying with me uh, this afternoon, but let me just kind of recap what we've done. So um, at Trevecca, uh, what we did is we refined our brand language. Um, we went through that whole exercise, brought in an outside partner to refine that brand language. We built a new website um, and we infused it with that new brand language. Um, we made SEO a major focus. Um, we brought, we invested in uh, Bright Edge tools so that that could just kind of be uh, baked into our internal team's processes. Um, we launched an awareness campaign. I didn't get to touch on this much because I want to be cognizant of our time and make sure we leave enough time for questions. But um, before we rolled out our full, uh, our full scale new brand campaign, we launched a true awareness campaign. We leveraged the element of humor. Um, and we saw tremendous gains in our quarterly market awareness um, studies that we do as a result of that uh, that brief. It was about a 90-day stint. Um, it scared all my faculty to death, I'll be honest. But um, it was a true awareness campaign, and it, it genuinely worked. And then we've invested more deeply in out-of-household advertising, um, broadcast billboards, um, we have ads running on gas pumps around the Middle Tennessee area um, and just really kind of investing there. And what did we gain um, from those efforts? So uh, we um, we saw our lead quality increase, not only anecdotally, what our um, enrollment uh counselors and admissions folks were telling us, but also the ink to app conversion rates improved over time. We won't have our census data um, for this la for this most recent cycle until September 4, but um, uh, 
our past census data for, for graduate and adult education show, does indicate a slight increase in the shows that we're generating from organic lead sources. Um, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but our quarterly benchmarking um, on brand awareness shows modest gains uh, between five and 10% in both aided and unaided brand awareness responses in our key markets. Um, so we're seeing that increase in awareness over time. Um, our, our site traffic is increasing uh, month over month and year over year. And we've seen about a one to 2% increase in total lead volume over the last three years. Um, and I would draw that uh, we have not, you know, wildly changed our purchasing behaviors. I think that is a direct testament to the focus that we've, we've taken on just overall brand health. So, um, you know, Getting back to Pistol, I think that really, truly, like making this your one thing this year where you're really focusing on um, having, a, you know, a strong, healthy brand in the places and spaces that it matters to your communities is is worth every, uh, you know, is, is worth every investment. Um, so let's talk about how you can do this too. Um, and this is uh, the work you're seeing on this slide uh, is over the course of the last uh, almost three years now. Um, so how can you do this too? I'm a big alliterator. You're just go with it. Okay. Um, but we're going to assess, we're going to act, we're going to adjust, make assessing your brand health a priority. And I would add operationalize it. Um, so make assessing your brand health a priority for us. A lot of times our partners, especially our out of household partners will help us with this. So we get, um, brand awareness studies done quarterly through one of our broadcast partners. Um, we have monthly meetings with our OTT contractors, um, act, deploy your university resources to address whatever you're uncovering in those brand studies. Um, I'll admit one of the spots I loved uh, that we were running on broadcast uh, performed poorly in one of our quarterly brand awareness assessments. We pulled it the next day. Be willing to, to be ruthless in attacking whatever it gets uncovered in those brand studies. And then adjust. You've got to adopt an iterative improvement plan that measures this data regularly. I would say that higher ed is poised to do this better than anyone because we all do accreditation. So if we take what our friends on the academic side of the house are already accustomed to, where we're doing iterative improvements and we're measuring it and we apply it to um, our brand health, I think we'll see significant gains there. So um, that is, uh, you know, that was a, a quick flyby, friends. Um, but I would love to open the floor up for questions. I'm cheering all of you on um, in this, this work. We are going to do our ball handling drills together this year, and it's going to be an amazing cycle. Um, but yeah, Angela, we can open the floor up for questions um, and, and go from there. Perfect. Thank you so much, Molly. Now we do have a couple that have come through. The first is what steps did you take to ensure everyone across the university is on the same page and using the same brand language? Oh, I love this question. Okay. And let's be real. There is still the rogue professor somewhere that is printing off his own things. Okay. So we have not arrived. I'm just going to own that. But um, one thing we did was we ensured we had great participation on the front end. So the focus groups and the research that went into crafting that, that brand blueprint involved our 
our president's cabinet, our administrative council. We had representation from various key faculty members um, and leaders so that when they were hearing it for the first time, it felt like their voice. It felt like their language. Um, and that was the first thing. Um, but practically speaking, we blasted it to the masses. We created posters for all the break rooms around campus. We put it on the intranet. Um, we sent out emails. Um, you know, I can't point to any one thing, but I will say that uh, a big part of it was uh, we have a, a annual tradition. It's our president's dinner. It's what kicks off right before we bring students back to campus. We gather our entire community, faculty and staff um, for a, a, for a, you know, a celebration event. And our presidential address the first year was completely infused with the new brand language. Um, and so that was that was definitely a rallying moment. Um, but the biggest thing is probably having cabinet level support and making sure that you're including all of your campus constituencies in the actual refinement process. Awesome, very thorough answer. Our next question is, how did you develop your personas? Did you use internal research and external consultant? Was it based on previous mm -hmm. enrollment data or was it based on market research or all of the above? <laughs> I'm going to go with D, all of the above, but um, I'll expound on that a little bit. So we had research by the pound that we could pull from. Um, and so we made that available to um, our colleagues who are helping us with the brand refinement work. Um, we also uh, leveraged market data and we build our personas out. So we have some main personas um, that, that kind of look like um, core elements of our constituency, but we also build sub personas for um, specific degree programs, especially on the graduate and adult education side. And when we're doing that, it's part art, part science. We look at um, we look at data based like our, our census data on that particular program, if it's an existing program, um, or we look at um, we use a we use a UQ market analyzer. Um, that's another great tool. And I can make that available in our notes when we send out the notes after Angela. Um, and that's been a real help to us because it it analyzes um, market conditions in your area. You can geo target or you can just look by industry or vertical. So we used a little bit of uh, you know, I would I would say it's part art, part science. We used a little bit of our own anecdotal knowledge from our um, from our constituency base. And then we we supported that with some of the data that we could get our hands on. Perfect. And then what looks like our last question, unless someone wants to jump in at the buzzer before we wrap, you talked about making adjustments based on the assessments. What kinds of adjustments have you made? Are you largely adjusting ads and approach or are you making adjustments to pieces of the brand as well? Mm, that is an excellent question. So there are a couple of things um, that we are adjusting. Um, the first was, um, we changed how we uh, talked about ourselves. We infused, I feel like we infused more life and personality into our brand tone because we recognized that there was an opportunity to differentiate ourselves from other um, other institutions in our market um, by infusing a little bit more uh, conversational elements and conversational tone to our brand and that it would better connect with um, who we saw as our target market. So I would say brand tone probably was the, the biggest change. Um, and then 
We did adjust a little bit of, of our uh, paid search strategy. Um, and that's really kind of a moving piece. Like we we optimize that pretty regularly based on um, census data as it comes in, especially on the graduate adult education side, right? Because we've got multiple starts throughout the year. So we can feed our um, our paid search team, hey, here's who showed up for the cohort. Now we're tweaking, you know, and we're refining what sites we're showing up for and even what messaging and headlines we're using based on that real-time feedback. It's a little bit harder on the traditional enrollment side, but not impossible. We're waiting We're waiting with bated breath for our census data to come in because then we'll go in and we'll do some, some additional adjustments on messaging for our, um, for our high school demographics. Perfect. We've got another good one that just came Ooh. in that I think will benefit a lot of folks. It's a little bit of a, of a callback to getting folks on board. Where should people start if they want to get buy-in and work towards doing the kind of work that that you've been able to do? Mm. Um, I am very fortunate to have an extremely supportive cabinet. Um, and that was that was pivotal. Um it it helped me to make the case for it um by coming in and, and acknowledging the decline in organic. So to letting data be the diplomat's always your friend, right? If you can point to, okay, here's where brand health may be hurting us. So you can build that um, that business case with your cabinet. Um, and then um, showing, uh, you know, micro results. So looking at um, maybe taking, biting it off in a smaller piece. So if you don't think you're going to be able to get buy-in for a very robust, you know, research by the pound situation. Um, and this didn't take, I mean, this, this wasn't giant. It took eight weeks to conduct the research, just practically speaking. Um, it, but if you're a little concerned about buy-in for that, pick a program, pick a department, pick a degree, um, and say, okay, we're going to go really deep on this one and then use that as your proof of concept. Those are a couple ways I would go about uh, kind of getting buy-in for the the work that needs to be done on brand health. That's great. It's very, very practical, actually, to just bite it off in small chunks if mm -hmm. you need to. Mm -hmm. The yeah. next question is, have you seen any changes in the effect and effectiveness of your paid search efforts in recent years? We have. We have um, probably the biggest uh, success I would point to is actually the quality of our leads in our paid search. So while we haven't potentially seen, a, you know, a wild increase in volume, although there's been some um, anecdotally and by inquiry to app conversion rate, we're seeing stronger leads come through that pipeline, right? Because we are matching more closely with the right audience on the front end. We're not starting at, you know, if you go back to kind of the continuum I talked about, we're not starting in the gray circle, we're starting in the yellow circle. Like we're already a little bit more familiar, um, which makes for stronger conversations with our admissions team when those leads get in the pipeline. That's great. So. Well, Angela, I see we have a couple minutes left. Can I throw out a bonus for the group? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So um, again, what I love about higher ed is the knowledge sharing um, and the ability to collaborate. So I just thought I'd share a little bit of, of kind of what's next for us. Like, what are we testing right now? What are we thinking about um, in, in sort of the next phase, building on the successes we've had on brand health? Um, we're optimizing the cadence of our brand messaging around campus visits. 
So we're looking at, um, you know, when are the appropriate uh, bands in the calendar for us to swap out a uh, billboard copy or swap out um, campus visit spots on broadcast, those, those kinds of things. We're also looking at uh, more closely tying our paid search strategy to our admissions activities. So can we geofence college fairs that are already on our admissions team's travel schedule this fall and see an increase? Like all I'm looking to do is how do I move people from the from the gray to the yellow to the blue so we can win? Like, you know, we just, we need to keep moving them along that continuum. And we're thinking maybe geofencing could help us out there. Um, we're working on improving our Google listing with 360 uh, photography and imagery that will help improve our organic ranking there. And then I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but we really are considering a lot of smaller targeted events to families that are maybe a little bit earlier in the decision process. So can we get, you know, can we get in front of freshmen? Can we get in front of sophomores? Can we, can we, um, can we niche down, you know, can we, can we target, um, you know, particular subsets of our populations with, uh, uh, you know, not a not a giant preview day, but you know, maybe maybe we get twenty families in a room and and see what that does. You know, it changes the dynamic a little bit, sure, but um, could we see higher conversion rates on that on the back end? So, um, so I, I I'm uh, wildly curious uh, about uh, all of these, and so I, I just love to to test and tweak and refine. Um, and so these are the things that that my team is looking at for this next year um, and testing. And I would honestly love to hear. Uh, from our audience, uh, you know, if there's things that they're testing or considering for this next cycle year, because, uh, you know, we get better together, we get stronger together. And that's what makes higher ed such a phenomenal vertical to be a part of. Hope oh, did we lose your audio, Angela? We did. I muted okay. myself and then did not it's unmute. All good, <laughs> good friends. But I just put a horribly spelled call to action, I realize, in, in the chat as the Bluetooth and my keyboard cut out. But if you do have some things that you're testing this year that you would like to share with the broader group, feel free to enter those in the chat and we'll call them out. The fun thing that I'm finding in this season, I'll give everybody kind of a minute to think, um, is because we've had some very interesting anomalies in this last cycle, um, I think, you know, I like to call it, it's, it's like long COVID. I mean, we've just had some really interesting anomalies as we've kind of adjusted um, post COVID to these incoming classes. Um, I think that is that those conditions are ripe for testing because you don't have historical markers. You don't have um, projections that you can, um, you know, consistently lean into. So you've got to be willing to innovate. You've got to be willing to test um, everything and you've got to be wildly curious. And so I'm excited to see what kinds of innovations we all collectively come up with over this next recruitment cycle, because I'm confident that there's going to be some real ahas and some breakthroughs as a result of that. Absolutely. I love that. Maybe we'll cover those in next year's insights summit so that we yes. can, can share those out. I think that would be great. Um, well, everyone, we have a few minutes left. If there are any final questions for Molly, 
Otherwise, we're happy to give you a break in the day to grab a snack or yes, refill your water before we I don't want to stand between people and their two o'clock coffee. So <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Angela, for allowing me to share just a little bit about what we've been up to and look forward to hopefully continuing this conversation uh, with others. I'm going to go ahead and put my contact info back up for folks. Um, love to connect um, on LinkedIn or shoot me an email if there's anything you want to um, discuss further. I I love this stuff. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Molly. And thank you to everyone who joined us for this session and others if you've been with us throughout the day. Mm-hmm.